You're listening to the Roanoke Valley Church Podcast. In this sermon, we are introduced to the prophet Jeremiah, calling out the shepherds of Israel. They have neglected the flock and have turned away from God. Their leadership, or lack thereof, has caused God's people to wander and stray from Him. How does God feel about irresponsible leadership? And what can be said about our lives and its impact on those around us? These are humbling questions to consider, but there is hope for us. Listen in and consider the following two points. One, God takes shepherding seriously. And the second, there is always someone watching you. Please visit our website at RoanokeValleyChurch.org and our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Church. More resources, sermons, and links to help you be a part of what God is doing in the Roanoke Valley. And now, enjoy today's sermon. Amen. Good morning, church. Great to be together. Great to have the NRV up with us. Uh, the campus ministry is at their campus retreat out in Charlottesville this morning, so it is great to have uh, the NRV come up and worship with us. Uh, both here in the RVC and down in the NRV, we're going through a series, a fall series, entitled The Good Shepherd, uh, where we've been going through Psalm 23 for a couple of weeks here, and today we'll be in Jeremiah 23. So if you have a Bible, you can flip over that section of text. And we'll continue our theme on the Good Shepherd. And uh, this is a challenging text because it comes uh, at leaders, which I claim to be one. So this uh, does bring a bit of a concentration on anyone who uh, desires to be or takes the role of a shepherd. Uh, but we'll look at uh, this text this morning on how God ultimately views shepherds, those who are his, and those who claim to be and are not, and ultimately the one, the one shepherd who he brings uh, to solve all the inaccuracies and all the insufficiencies of anyone who claims to be a shepherd. So praise God for that, uh, that he does uh, cover over all those things. But if you have a moment here with me, please bow your heads in prayer. Lord in heaven, God, we come before you uh, as our good shepherd. God, we thank you for the details that you've captured in your word here for us to know who you are. God, we believe, and we believe your scriptures make it clear, God, that if we would just understand and know who you are, God, that a lot of things uh, make sense. Uh, God, that we're able to operate and partner with you in this world that has turmoil, that has good leaders and bad leaders. Uh, God, and that all of us in this room have uh, been the beneficiaries of good leaders, and we've all suffered under the hand of bad leaders. And uh, we pray that uh, we have this moment here to recognize who is our true leader, who is our good shepherd, the ultimate shepherd, that we can rest secure, that you do, as your word says, bring us to uh, still waters. God, you make us lie down in green pastures, that you do give us the hope uh, that there will be a time that we uh, currently and in the future, we have no fear. God, help us to rest securely in your leadership. We ask all this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Jeremiah chapter 23, we'll be reading the first uh, eight verses. And for us uh, today, we're just going to be looking at, we're going to look at verse 1 through 8, but we're going to focus in on verses 1 through 4, and then down in the NRV, uh, when Ben gets back in time, he'll be preaching uh, back in town, not on time, hopefully on time and in town. Uh, but he'll be preaching on Jeremiah 23 again, so we'll have this uh, a couple times coming our way. But here in verse 1, it says, Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. 
Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their pasture, where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I will place shepherds over them who will tend them, and they will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. The days are coming, declares the Lord, where I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteous Savior. So then the days are coming, declares the Lord, when people will no longer say, as surely as the Lord lives who brought the Israelites out of Egypt, but they will say, as surely as the Lord lives who brought the descendants of Israel up out of the land of the north, and out of all the countries where he had banished them, then they will live in their own land. We'll stop there for now. You know, the, uh, the book of Jeremiah is not in historical or chronological order, so that, that makes these passages, this section of text actually in Jeremiah 21 through 24 is actually oracles that are kind of inserted into the, the narrative of Jeremiah. So chapters 21 through 24, not in precise historical order, but here Jeremiah is bringing a moment in time where he is going to predict and does prophesy what ultimately is going to happen. You guys have probably heard this passage before, this righteous branch, this root of Jesse. That's, that's a prophetic vision of the true shepherd, the good shepherd, who Jesus is coming our way. But this is in a moment of time in the history of the Israelites where literally Jeremiah has been thrown into a cistern. He's, he's was under house arrest, will eventually rather be thrown into a cistern. And he's in a moment where, you know what, I've been prophesying and preaching and proclaiming how the kings of Israel have gone astray, how they're leading the shepherd or leading the flock astray, and I'm not sure if they're hearing what I'm saying. You ever felt that way as a parent or as a manager or family? Like, I'm saying it, but I'm not sure anyone's picking up what I'm putting down. And there's worry that comes from that, especially if you know the writings on the wall, where literally destruction is at the door of the Israelites. And sure enough, Babylon and uh, the Chaldeans in the north will come down and ransack Israel in the year of that, if you want to research that, it's 586 BC, where the destruction of Israel will occur. So Jeremiah is prophesying that this is going to happen. It's, it's, it's going to happen. And you'd be in a place where you're, you're a prophet, you're there, you care for the people of Israel, and your hands are tied, literally. I said all I could say, I hope they hear, but now I'm in a cistern and I'm wondering if what I've said has been heard. But what Jeremiah shows in this moment, in despite of pending doom, he does not lose hope. He actually gives hope to the people here in the future that there will be a good shepherd. There will be someone who brings them to a land where they can multiply, where they can be fruitful, where they can rest and have no fear. It's uh, without a doubt that Jeremiah, in the moment of despair, actually uses what we've already studied as a church, uses Psalm 23 to bring from an individual standpoint with David and, 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 and his shepherd and God to now a national view where he goes from an individual and now groups Israel all together. He uses Psalm 23. There are clear connections over and over and over again throughout this prophecy or throughout his uh, words here, where God will bring them back, verse 3. He will give them shepherds. 
verse 4. At the end, he will bring them to their own land, and they will have no fear. These are, these are images of a good shepherd, where a shepherd comes in at the right time and protects the flock and brings them to a place where Psalm 23, as David's personal life says, that I can be made still. I can be made to lay down. I can have my fill, all my needs met, and be without fear. There are uh, five what they call cameos, basically little points in this. I don't have five points. You can all exhale. <laughs> but as this flows is that there's bad shepherds exposed, there's bad shepherds accused and threatened, and then God shows up and provides a shepherd. That's important for us to know because I think we're all familiar with bad shepherds or bad leaders and the truth is, you know, I'm in a very vulnerable place right now. The truth is, some of you might think, hey, this is great leadership at the RBC. Some of you might be in the seats like, you know what, this is not good leadership in the RBC. And you are, you can have your opinion. But all I want you to understand is that God is the shepherd. And no matter if you're under good leadership or bad leadership, the third cameo here, that God will show up and provide a shepherd, is really all you need to care about. And that's, that's what gives us hope. That's what gives us joy in the midst of bad leadership, good leadership, and different leadership, is that God shows up and will provide shepherding. If we don't have God showing up, we are victims of whoever's in charge. And I think as a society, and even at the greater Christianity, I believe there's too much noise from Christians about who's in charge, who's not in charge, who should be in charge, what this person's doing, what this person's doing. We're on our way, this is not a political place, but we're on our way to election right now. And right now, too many people, I believe, are putting too much stock into who's gonna be on the ballot and who will win. I am not saying that you shouldn't care. I think we should care more about local elections than national election because they actually have more meaning on your life. However, it's not the solution. It's not where we put our hope. We care, and we vote, and we're concerned, and we advocate, and we speak up, and we exercise our rights, and you can have your opinions, and you can post it on Facebook. I don't care. However, if your hope is in the shepherds of this day and age, and not the shepherd that comes in, in God, you will be dismayed, discouraged, and I believe you won't have any of what this good shepherd wants to bring you. You won't come back to your land. You'll come back to a place where you'd never feel settled because the shifting sands of man and woman in charge will not give you what you hope for. So while there's bad leadership going on at this time, it's bad news. It's bad news bears. Zedekiah is the king. The previous king was Josiah. Anyone know Josiah? Josiah became king at the ripe old age of eight, and he is one of the good kings. There are not many. There are no good kings in the northern part of Israel. In Judah, there's only four, and there's tons of kings. Josiah was one of the good ones, where he actually removed all the Asherah poles. He got rid of all the idols. He restored the word of God to the community, all those things. Guess what Zedekiah did? The exact opposite. Every reform that Josiah brought to the people of Israel, Zedekiah brought, wiped it out and brought all the bad stuff from the previous kings back in. So this is a swift reversal of all that was good and right and holy and now it's all back to idol worship all back to reintroducing 
idols. And on top of this, the king is exhorting control and neglecting the poor. This is bad news over and over and over again. Ironically, Zedekiah's name in Hebrew means the Lord is just. And it's ironic because he's going to get some justice. Zedekiah is going to get what he did not. Well, well he thought he was going to be okay. And God comes back and says, you know what? I'm going to deal with these guys. So that gives us hope too. But anyway, here in this, here in this uh, prophecy in Jeremiah 23, I want to draw your attention to verse 6. Jeremiah might be in a cistern, but he's throwing darts. And I love it. It's wonderful. In verse 6, the hope that he instills for the people of Israel, it says, In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will, be li will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteous Savior. Why this is a dart is that, okay, we have a king right now who says the Lord is just. That even Zedekiah, this righteousness that he's meant to be for Israel, he's not. But we will get a shepherd who is our righteous Savior. So in a sense, yeah, you might be directing your concern and your hope in this king Zedekiah, whose name means righteous and just, but ironically he's not, but there will be a shepherd who will be righteous and just, and we look and we wait for him. My first point this morning, which is important for all of us, is that God takes shepherding seriously. You know, God doesn't play, and this is challenging. Because here in verse 2, it says, Therefore, this is what the Lord of the God of Israel says, Because you have scattered my flock, and you have not bestowed care upon them, I'm going to bestow punishment on you. This is a, this is a little wordplay here. In the ESV, it says, Because you haven't attended to them, I'm going to attend to you. And it's like, it's like parents draw that. Like, oh, you know, parents said that all the time. Like, oh, because you didn't protect your brother from that fight? Now you're going to get it. You know, those, those, that was kind of rules in our house. Like if your brother got in a fight and you didn't show up for, to protect him, well, now you're getting a whooping. So you didn't do what you are supposed to do, now you're going to get some. And it's like, that's what God is saying ultimately to these shepherds. You did not attend to them, so I'm going to attend to you. And he does. And we don't have time to read through the rest of Jeremiah, but, the, but Zedekiah gets his, and the leaders and the rulers, the spiritual leaders of the time, will get theirs. But the point is, God will take care of that. But he does take shepherding seriously. Instead of gathering, they scattered. Instead of attending, they neglected. And God takes that seriously. You know, James 3, verses 1 through 2, talks about how, how we should not be quick to become teachers. Cat, teaching engineering, though, so you're good to go. But become teachers... My fellow believers, because you know that teachers will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. Now, who is that? No one. But God says, those who lead, those who teach, those who shepherd will be taken. They'll be judged more strictly. And it's like, okay, so... Don't be so quick to, woohoo, let, let's jump into this because it's important to God. What you say matters. Yes, God is the ultimate judge, He's the ultimate shepherd, and He'll make things right, but He does care about those who are shepherding. That He will not play 
with those who are trying to take care of his kids. Mess with the wrong mom, and you watch out. God protects his church throughout history. You don't talk about the church because you're talking about God's kids. Don't, don't lead my kids astray. I'm coming. Watch what you say. Be careful how you lead. Consider how you actually garner what we preach and teach because if it's not from God, God takes that seriously. If you read through the rest of Jeremiah 23, there's prophesying going on. There's teaching going on. But God accuses them of not going, for, not going to him to get his words, but rather speaking their own words. You gotta be careful. And I'm talking to myself here front and center. We talk about doing things for God. And we don't do them with a humility to go to him, to have prayer, to fast, to consider what he wants, and we're quick to jump into even good-natured things, watch out. I've many times trusted my own insight, my own experience, the experience of others, and said, hey, that worked for them. I said this a few weeks ago. We can do it here. Well, did I consult God? Did I have the humility to say, God, what do you want? This is your church. This is your family. Far too often what can creep in to any to any shepherd, it's a concern on how they're viewed by the flock. And that can be insecurity, that can be pride, that can be fear, and those things dictate how you approach your flock or your people. And that can lead us astray and ultimately lead a group of people astray. So this is, this is no small moment in time where God's word is open and I'm sharing something. This is serious work. And if it's just winging it, or you're up here like just spilling stuff, you gotta be careful. So again, not many of us should. And that idea of being judged more strictly is a call higher to all of us. Hebrews 13 talks about the same thing, about having confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Now this is in reference to elders. Elders that are overseeing the church, they have to give an account. They're responsible for God's church, and they're going to have to give an account. So again, this is something they must think of, okay, I'm leading. God takes this seriously. My life matters. God takes this seriously. I'm trying to shepherd and point people to God. God takes this seriously. And if we understand that God takes this seriously, those who are doing their best to shepherd, the Bible does say, Try to help their life be a joy. Don't be a burden because that's no benefit to you. They're trying to shepherd you. Now, I understand that in this moment, some of us can, in our minds, fold our arms and say, well, I'm not making this overbearing dude's life a joy. I'm not trying to make that gal's life a joy because she's proud and she carries, she burdens us with her, you know, calendars and all this kind of stuff. I ain't Again, you have a good shepherd. You have a good shepherd in God and Jesus who will ultimately give you peace, joy, and everything you need. That gives you the confidence to then work together with those who are trying to serve and help in a way that you can help their lives be a joy. 
I'm talking about elders, deacons, and leaders. I'm not talking about me. So if you want to make my life a joy, great. But anyway, that, I, I'd like that. Go for it. That'd be great. But God takes shepherding seriously. But it's not just the leaders or shepherds or elders or deacons that give an account. Romans 14, 12 says, says here, So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. So you give an account too. So before we shrink back and say, well, I ain't leading, you have to give an account too. I'm not up there. You need to give an account. The truth is, everyone is shepherding someone. So while we can get a little bit obsessed with leadership and pastors in our community and celebrity pastors, and there are plenty of those around, we can get obsessed with who's up there talking, who's leading, who's been around the longest, and miss that we have a responsibility within the body of Christ as well. And we must all give an account to how we are shepherding each other. You know, it is Halloween season, and, uh, or harvest season, whatever you want to call it, and uh, we always play this song on our Halloween playlist, it always feels like someone's watching me. It's like, do 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 right? And that's my second point. Someone is always watching you. Someone is always watching you. It always feels like somebody is watching me. It's because they are. Someone is always watching you. And that's meant to be encouraging. It does humble me. It does uh, help me to see my need more than ever. I've told this story before, but when I was single, before I started dating Lindsay, I thought I was a pretty giving guy. And then I started dating, and I realized, whoa, I'm pretty selfish. And then by the time I proposed to Lindsay, I was like, wow, I'm a pretty selfless guy. And then I got married. I'm like, wow, I'm a selfish dude. And then before I had kids, I was like, wow, I'm a, I'm a selfless guy. And then I had kids. I'm like, I am stinking selfish. And then I had another kid. I'm really selfish. There's something about when you're shepherding, helping, leading, working together with someone that you actually get humbled to see your need as well. That in the very call of being a dad or a parent or a minister or any type of role, my needs are exposed. My shortcomings are on full display. There was nothing more exposing than becoming a dad. When Cameron had, when he was teething, when he's up all night, uh, I thought I was a very self-controlled person. And then I had two hours of sleep, and all of a sudden I'm not a very self-controlled person. And then my son starts exploring, and he's crawling everywhere. And I thought, man, I had this house child-proof. And Cameron found all the unchild-proofed areas in our house. And I thought I was a very patient and, 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 and careful dad. And then I realized I can lose my temper so quickly with a one-and-a-half-year-old that has no idea what he's doing. But for my mind, I'm thinking, you should know better. In the times of being a, a, a brother in Christ over the 20 years, having roommates and being in small groups and Bible talks and leadership and out of leadership and whatever it may be, the conversations where, okay, I feel like I'm a pretty good listener. And then there's that one brother that never stops talking. And you're like, oh! <laughs> it exposes my heart. And there's times where I'm, I'm leading or I'm leading a group and people are very grateful. 
very grateful for whatever time, energy, good Bible talk, good discussion, poor, it doesn't matter, they're good-hearted disciples, that was the best thing they ever heard. I'm like, wow, what a, what a gal, what a guy. And then there's people in my family groups at times that are critical. And it doesn't matter what we do, it was the worst thing ever, or it could have been done better, or this and that, and you're like, I thought I was a pretty gracious person, and then you put a person that's critical in your group, and you're like, oh, I, don't, I love them, but I don't like them. And it exposes how conditional my love is. You know, Galatians 6 talks about that. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourself, for you also may be tempted. Now, this is talking in some regards of, okay, here's a situation that a brother or sister is in, and you don't want to go and help them and join in in the process. But I think it's a little bit deeper than that. It's whenever you're trying to help someone, be careful, because your needs get exposed too. You ever try to help someone with their life, and all of a sudden your needs get exposed in your lack of love, your conditional love, your frustration, your prayers change from God, please help them, to God, what's wrong with them? You know, these things happen. And there's something about when we're, when we're actually shepherding or leading others or trying to help, that we start to see our character. We start to see our lack of shepherding clearly. 1 Timothy 4.16 tells us how important that is. And the truth doubles down that someone is watching. Because it says, watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. You know, someone is watching. Whether it's here in the fellowship, whether it's at home in your family, whether it's your co-workers, whether it's your neighbors, someone's watching. And this is humbling, guys, because we all know we're not perfect. And we've all had moments, probably more than we'd like to admit, of moments where we've given off the wrong image of who the Good Shepherd is. I know for so many times when I've lost my cool with my kids, when I've yelled, when I've murmured under my breath, and my son says, what'd you say? And I'm like, I guess I should tell you what I just said. And it's not helpful. And I know in that moment, especially when they're younger, I'm giving them an image of who God is. Because to young children, you are God. Not that you are, but to them, you are the authority. In the moments where I've lost my cool, where I have not been loving, where I've been sarcastic, those things shape their image of God. And it's so humbling to be like, oh God, please forgive me for how I have muddled up this image of who you are. And we could get downtrodden and discouraged and helpless if that was it, if it was all up to you. If it was all up to your leadership, if it was all up to your ability to, to hold the tight and narrow or the straight and narrow, if it was all up to you and how you lived your life to determine whether or not someone at your family was going to become a Christian, or it's all your example and how you're going to help someone in your job become a Christian, if that was it, ain't no one becoming a Christian. If it was up to you or me, no one of my family's becoming a Christian. The truth is, the times where I've seen in families serving as a, as a team minister, the times where I've seen families draw closer are the times where parents own their mistakes. 
not when parents act like they've got it all together and they're not honest about their shortcomings as a shepherd. But the times where they get the family together and say, you know what, dad has fallen short in this area. I used to live with a family in Virginia Beach when I was saving up for a wedding ring. Uh, I was a student teacher at a Virginia Beach school. And uh, I remember this moment where the dad totally lost his cool. I mean, I respect this guy uh, to this day, well before this, but even more so because of, it, because of this. Like, there, were, there was a puppy conversation going on. The family wanted a puppy, and dad did not want a puppy. And there was like a four-on-one guilt trip going on. I was just like off the side like, oh, snap. I thought it was a joke, but then it got serious. And I'm kind of watching his face like, I don't, I don't think this is going well. Like, he's starting to... He's starting to steam up. And the family just kept doubling down, like doubling down, doubling down. And then he just, yeah, man, he lost it. Lost it. I'd never seen that before in my life. And I was like, whoa. And him and the mom went off, and they had a conversation, and the kids were crying. And and the kids jacked up. They messed up. I mean, I'm looking like, you guys, what are you doing? Like, they messed up. They, They messed up. And he comes back. And it's not, hey, kids. Mom and dad discussed it. Y'all messed up. It was him coming back. There was nothing about what the kids did, although they did get a talking to later. But he led with repentance. He led with an ownership of where he fell short. I wasn't expecting that. I was geared up like, all right, dad, let's straighten him out. <laughs> but his ownership of his failings, of his shortcomings, And then a redirection to who is shepherding him made all the difference. The kids' hearts softened. They took ownership of where they fell short. And the family was closer, closer because of the puppy tirade than if it hadn't happened. How is that possible? Only when someone who knows they're being shepherded can make that type of change, can own their mistakes, who doesn't have to give in to pride and say, Ooh, okay, I, gotta, I, gotta, I messed up there, but I'm going to double down on my leadership, my ownership. I'm going I'm to be stronger here and not own it. He owned it. And he knew as he was shepherding his family that he too is being shepherded. I think that makes all the difference for us. It makes all the difference when we know, okay, I'm, I'm responsible to help other people know God. I'm responsible in the body of Christ to be a part of us helping each other become more and more like Jesus. But we fail. We hurt each other. We sin. We fall short. We are overbearing. We're not always good listeners. We are insensitive. We are absent. There are times where people slip through the cracks. You saw it, and you didn't do anything about it. There are times where I saw the the threats on the outside, but got distracted by something that's not as important. And the threat comes in. And then I act surprised, but I knew it was there. What's best? Oh, it's not going to happen again. Not on my watch, and I double down, or I own it and repent. What's more helpful to you? For me to be up here acting like I have no weaknesses, and you're the only ones that need to get it together? Or if you know that we're in this together, I have my, my full share of weaknesses. You know, the men got together, and we did the four pillars of, of a godly man on Wednesday night, and Greg lit us in a great, a great time. And there are four pillars about, you know, vision, leader, uh, a, a number of things, friend, 
certain, all these different ones, and I knew. And we all went around like, okay, put a sticker on the pillar that you think best, best highlights this man's strengths. And one of them was a friend. That was one of the pillars. And I knew, I knew that was going to be the one that had the least amount of stickers on it. I knew it. I knew it. There was visionary, there was teacher, and I was like, okay, teacher, that's going to be the fullest. I know. And it was. And the friend had the least. I knew. But I talk a lot, but I don't always connect. I get a chance to talk a lot, but I'm I close with people. You think, you're a stinking pastor. Isn't that your job? Yes. Isn't it ironic? I believe, and I've said this before, I believe I'm in the full-time ministry to save my soul. I believe God put me in this position to help me be more like God. Not be flooded with the responsibility of helping other people. Yes, I am. But I realize, man, if I hadn't spent the last 14 years in the ministry, I don't know what kind of man I'd be. Because I've grown, believe it or not, I've grown in becoming a friend. And I still got a long way to go. But that's the nature for all of us. When we try to help, we jump in and we try to help others. We find ourselves needing a shepherd all the more. Parenting has humbled me to the point where like, God, I can't even control myself. How am I going to control these kids? Can't do it. God, help me. I need a shepherd. You try to help a coworker, you jump into their lives, you see the brokenness, you see the heartache, and you're like, okay, I've got a good marriage, I can jump here and help. Oh my gosh, God, we need you. And we're all on a journey. We're all on a journey to become more and more better shepherds in God's flock. You know, think about where the disciples started. When they were called to be shepherds and leaders in God's kingdom, they saw the, they saw the Gentiles, and what do they tell Jesus? What do they say to Jesus? Hey, do you want us to call fire down on them bad boys? Like, they were short, short-tempered. Like, these guys are wrong, let's kill them. That's where they started. Even as Jesus, for the third time, says, the Son of Man will be killed and handed over. They had their mom, James and John, had their mom come ask Jesus, hey, when you... Essentially, when you, you know, finish what you're doing here and my sons are going to be in charge, can they sit at your right and left? Like, can they be the most important, like, total soccer mom move? Like, can they be the captain of the team? And the other ten are indignant at the other two. There's, in, there's infighting in the family. And what does Jesus say? Whoever wants to become great must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. These men were given responsibility to shepherd God's people, but their hearts weren't quite right along the way. And Jesus, in his good shepherding, shepherds them. To go from, you're about focus and leader. No, 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 it's about service and becoming nothing. George reminded, of us, reminded us of that in this morning's communion, that Jesus had everything in common with God. He was God, but became nothing. He became obedient, dying on a cross.
And some of us here have taken up the mantle to shepherd, and you may feel like you failed. You may look at your parenting, you may look at your, your job situation or extended family or whatever role you think, okay, this is where I have influence. And some of us in here are beating ourselves up. Some of us here are, are riddled with shame and regret for things you've said, decisions you've made or have not made. And I want to encourage you that Peter, along the way in his quest to become more and more like his good shepherd, said a lot of bold, dumb things. Peter said an exclamation, I will never betray you. I will die with you. His story gets highlighted for all time, and he was humble enough to put it in the Bible for us, told Mark about it, and Mark wrote it down, where we see Peter getting spooked, not once, not twice, but thrice. And we see his story of restoration in John 21, where Jesus comes to him and asks him the painful question, do you love me? And Peter says, of course I do. And what does Jesus say? Take care of my lambs. Do you love me? Of course I love you. Shepherd my sheep. Third time, Jesus asked him, and Peter's like frustrated now. And he says again, tend my sheep. Peter's on a journey at a point where he had rejected God, and now God, as the good shepherd, comes in and says, your story of tending the flock, your opportunities of becoming more and more like me are not over. Yes, you've made mistakes, but guess what happened? The shepherds were making mistakes left and right, but the good shepherd showed up. He became nothing and died on the cross so that now we all have opportunity to be shepherded by him, the good shepherd, the very shepherd that Jeremiah prophesied about, that righteous branch who will reign wisely and do what was just and right. That's who Jesus was the one who fulfilled all of righteousness and who now, as they could look forward to, which we'll talk about more next week, they can remember Egypt and God taking them out of Egypt. Yes, will, they will remember Babylon and being taken out of Babylon and being restored to their land, but even that will be just a shadow of the great risk rescue that we all have in Jesus. Egypt's got nothing on what Jesus did on the cross. Babylon and coming out of captivity has got nothing on us being held captive to sin and Jesus dying to set us free. We've all made mistakes. We've all made charges. We've all fallen short as shepherds of God's sheep, whether it's our families, each other, co-workers, or just our community as a whole. But God reminds us here, he's in charge of history. Bad leadership we have a good leader in Jesus. Good leadership, cool. We've got a better leader in Jesus. You're a good leader of your family, awesome. Be shepherded by Jesus. You've had your pitfalls and your mistakes in your family, okay, don't despair, have hope, because you have a shepherd in Jesus. The church, okay, it's okay in your mind, we've got a shepherd in Jesus taking us to a place where we'll all lie down and be fed and taken care of and have no fear and every eye will be dried. That's where we're going. If you're under good leadership, great. Celebrate. But don't lose sight of how God is shepherding us always. I encourage us to jump in. Don't be discouraged by the fact that you will be held to a standard. 
But God is the good shepherd. We'll fall short and we have him. So jump in. Be served. Be servants of God's flock. Do your best to love one another. Jump in and restore people gently who have left or are caught up in sin. But do not put more hope in your ability to shepherd. Let's put our hope in the good shepherd who comes and who has come and will always come for us. We hope you've enjoyed today's sermon. Be sure to check back every Sunday for new sermons listed right here. Subscribe to us on YouTube and like us on Facebook to stay in touch with all that God is doing in the Roanoke Valley Church. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.